Hey, New Life family of churches, my name is Scott and I'm the lead pastor at New Life Coolangatta and I have the blessing to bring you God's word today. And we are in week two of our series named Rework. Now I love this idea, it's the kingdom of God at work, it's the kingdom of God at work in you, it's the kingdom of God at work through you and it's the kingdom of God at work in the world. You know, I love this idea of work. Because God is constantly at work. He's redeeming, restoring, and rebuilding people's lives constantly. And I love it in Jesus. He says in John chapter 5, verse 17, he's talking to the Pharisees about healing on the Sabbath. And he says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. You see, this is the heart of God from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God is at work. And you know what? I think we've lowered our walls of defense in regards to work. And this is where the enemy's getting in and he's causing destruction. You know, I think we've divorced work from our faith. It's like our our faith is over here and our work is over here. And it's like we think that our work is, is not part of God's plan to bring restoration to the world and to individuals. But what we learned last week is that work was part of the Garden of Eden, this perfect garden in Eden, Eden, there was work. This is before the fall into sin, there was work in the garden. So work is good. And God wants us to join him in the joy of good works. Now here's the truth. Jesus redeems work from sin. God puts places, puts his children in places all in different fields of work and areas of influence to bring the light of the gospel and the kingdom of God into those areas through you. And when we grasp that, then everything we do, every moment we find ourselves in is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to break in and bring healing and restoration. You know, every time I'm with my two boys who are eight and ten, it's an opportunity for me to bring the kingdom of God through good works. Every time I'm with my wife, it's a chance for me to show her Christ through the way that I love her. Every time I'm at my local coffee shop and I'm dealing with different people, it's an opportunity for me to share the love of God. You know, the cool thing is when we grasp this understanding, then our whole life has purpose and meaning. Our whole life is good work to bring Jesus, the love of the gospel and grace as it is in heaven on earth. Now, before we get into the message today, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to bring your word. God, I thank you that you use broken vessels like me to preach the gospel of truth, of grace and of love. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me, but you would also speak through me today. Not that they would look to me, but they would only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to be exploring the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Now, to set up the context of where we are, Nehemiah lived in the time after the Babylonian king came and defeated Israel in battle, and he destroyed Jerusalem. Like he actually destroyed the whole city, the temple where God dwelt. He destroyed the walls around the city, just destroyed it to the ground. And what the king did, he took the remaining survivors captive back to Babylon, and they were held captive there for over 70 years. Now the book of Ezra 
And Nehemiah was originally actually one book. It was written by the same author. And what we find in these books is the restoration of Jerusalem. And it starts in the book of Ezra, about 50 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. So it starts with Zerubbabel. And he returns to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And then years later, Ezra comes along and he wants to turn people back to God. So he brings back the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He wants to teach the Israelites the law of God again, to follow the law, to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Nehemiah comes along and he comes along with this ambition to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was one of the children of Israel that was held captive in Babylon, and he was a cupbearer for the king Artaxerxes. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah 1. Now, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we pick up the story here. They're Jews that come back and they report to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's talking to them. He says, what's happening at Jerusalem? And they tell him all about the walls, the destruction, the gates are burned. There's no protection there. And Nehemiah hears these words and he's grieved in his heart. He's grieved for the people of the city. He's grieved for the city of his God. And this drove him to prayer and fasting about this situation. And what's produced out of this prayer and fasting is this holy ambition to rebuild the walls. So then it continues on. Nehemiah prays this prayer to God in verse 5 to 11. It's this beautiful prayer where he basically states that the children of Israel, they've sinned against God. And that's why they've gone into captivity. That's why they've been judged. And he repents and he calls on the grace of God. And he, he calls on the promise of God to bring them back into the promised land. And then he asks God to hear his prayer and move with power to give him favor in the king's presence. Favor when he asks to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Because out of the prayer and fasting, Nehemiah has this ambition to go and rebuild the walls. And we pick that up in chapter 2. It says, I was the king's cupbearer, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. And the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now, before we move on, we need to understand there are actually different forms of ambition, right? Like there are some good and some bad. Some people have really good ambitions and, and some don't. So I want to take us through a few examples of ambition. I'm going to use kids in this example because they're brutally honest in their answers. I love them. So the first one is an example of high ambition. And you'll see it on the slide. Question is, what are three things you want to do in the future? He says, get a girlfriend. That's pretty good. Kiss her. And rule the world. 
He like starts off with a girlfriend and he moves to kissing and then he just takes this massive leap to ruling the world. Now that is high ambition, right? This kid's like, if I'm going to shoot for anything, I'm going to shoot for the top. I ain't going anywhere in between. And he shoots to rule the world. The next one is an example of very low ambition. You'll see Albert here at the bottom says, when I grow up, I'd like to be, he writes, a person that stays home and does nothing. (laughs) His ambition is to do absolutely nothing. Now, there's a big contrast between the first kid who wants to rule the world and Albert. I would say he's got very, very, or even zero ambition. Then another example of ambition is impossible ambition. You'll see here it says, when I grow up, I want to be a mailbox. Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll never reach that goal, mate. Sorry, but it's physically impossible for you to be a mailbox. Then we have selfish ambition. I think this is one of the most common ambitions that we face in the world. This young kid says, I will never get married. This is the life. And there's a picture of him on his throne just living it up. Like This kid is all about himself. He's absolutely self-focused. He doesn't want anything to do with anyone else or serve anyone. He just wants to live the life so he ain't getting married to anyone. And then there's good ambition. The question to this kid is, when I grow up, I want to be, question mark, he says, a truck driver. I will load trucks and wear a Ninja Turtle uniform. (laughs) How good is that? Like, we love truck drivers. If we didn't have truck drivers in society, society would just fall apart. How good is it that this young fella wants to be a truck driver? I love that. And even better, he wants to do it in a Ninja Turtle costume. How many of you want to see a Ninja Turtle driving a truck? I know I do. I want to walk out of a servo and see a truck driver walking out with me with a pie and a sausage roll in a Ninja Turtle outfit. How much joy would that bring the world? And then the last one, we have Christian ambition. The question is, what will you be doing when you're 100 years old? This kid writes, Breaking out of my tomb. He's like, I reckon Jesus is coming back in 100 years. I'll probably be dead, but that's okay because I'm going to resurrect. Like this kid's preaching the gospel on the power of the resurrection. I love it. He's taken every opportunity to work for the kingdom. So how did Nehemiah come to this good ambition to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Well, something touched his heart. Something he heard moved him with compassion. And so what he does with that, he goes away and he prays and he fasts and he seeks God around this passion or this grief that he feels in his heart. And this ambition is born out of that prayer, out of faith in God's promises, out of faith in God's faithfulness to his covenant people. And he's given this God vision for restoration. How do we know this came from God? Because it came after prayer and fasting. We find in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do to Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah was at this place where he believed that God had placed this ambition on his heart. Now, we need to discern what is a holy ambition And what is a selfish ambition? You see, we can take this story of Nehemiah and use it as a formula of success, a sure formula to get whatever your heart desires. 
So we think, okay, Nehemiah waited on God and God gave him a dream and, and he did it. So I have a dream to have for a successful business. So if I fast and pray, God will give me my dream and my ambition will come into reality and I'll be all rich. And you might be thinking, that's ridiculous, Scott. Well, let me tell you, there are plenty of sermons out there that teach this about Nehemiah. That's the heart of the prosperity gospel, right? That God wants you to be rich. So let's find examples or formulas in the Bible to make this a reality. And people love these messages because it's all about them and their success and their prosperity. But this is not what we see here in the text. It's not what we see in this story. You see, Nehemiah has a burden put on his heart, not for his own benefit, but a burden for the people of God and the restoration of Jerusalem. You see, this was a burden. Because Nehemiah could have been killed for this request to Artaxerxes. And not only that, he's putting his life in danger even to undertake the work of rebuilding the wall. So much that he actually had to carry letters from the king so he could even get there to start the work without being killed. In chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, it says, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through until I have come to Judah. A letter to Ashaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see, Nehemiah was literally risking his life for this ambition to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So here's a good indication of a holy ambition and a selfish ambition. What does your ambition benefit? Does it benefit you or others? Now, there's nothing wrong with having an ambition to run a profitable business, uh, to provide for your family. But here's the thing. We are called as Christians to more than that. We're called to love God and love others and follow the example of Jesus and lay our lives down in service for God and others, for joy and peace and the restoration of people and situations around us. You see, Nehemiah's ambition was not about himself, but about others, about restoration of God's kingdom. And you might be like, well, you know what? I hate my job. It's boring. I hate where I am at the moment. I have no influence. Well, think about Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. Now, how is that a good job? Like, it seems like it kind of lacks purpose, right? Like, imagine you're Nehemiah and someone says, what do you do? Oh, I I, uh, hold cups for a living. What do you mean? Well, well, you know, when the king wants a drink, um, I have to have one ready and give it to him. Really? So you just stand there all day waiting for him to get thirsty? How boring. That would have been pretty boring for Nehemiah, I reckon, most of the time. But to be a cupbearer in that time, you had to be fully trusted by the king because you were the last line of defense to the king being poisoned. You had to make sure the drink didn't contain any poison at all. And you would have to trust that person 100%, right? Like if you had a cupbearer, you want to make sure that they were trustworthy. So how did he gain that trust? By working with integrity as a follower of God, even though his job may have been boring, because he worked with integrity, he had influence before the king. Now think about your job. 
and what you do on a daily basis, do you do it with integrity? Do you do it in a way that shows people that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And it came to pass in the, pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, what, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? You see, Nehemiah worked with integrity before the king. He had the king's trust. And you've got to recognize, he's in the enemy's land. He's working in a land that's totally opposed to his values and his God. And so you might be working in an area where you feel as though you have no influence or it's not an amazing job. But you can have influence in those areas. And it says here he worked with joy. Even though he was in an enemy land, he was a captive, he worked with joy because we see that the king noticed he was sad. So the question is, do you work your job or do you are in your areas of influence, do you do them with joy? And all of this, working with integrity, working with joy as unto the Lord, he has this opportunity, he earns this respect and influence. And Nehemiah uses this influence for his holy ambition to bring that before the king. And so he's in charge now of going back and rebuilding the wall. You know, for me, I worked on the walls uh, as a crane driver for about 16 years. And we had one chap there. Um, he was our in-charge foreman. And he would just fly off the handle at any drop of the hat. Like he would go off. And I'm not talking just a little bit of yelling. I'm saying yelling at the top of his lungs, kicking chairs, picking him up, throwing it at people like he would go absolutely off. And I was one of the only people that could actually walk in and talk to him. You know, everyone would just scatter and I'd walk in there and go, mate, what's going on? And he'd be like, Rah! and he'd be going off. I'm like, all right, calm down, calm down. What can we do to fix it? How did I have that influence? It's because I worked with integrity. I went in there to try and help him and you know what? It wasn't always that way. I wasn't a Christian for the first 12 years or so, 13 years of me working there. It was only the last three years. But when I became a Christian, my whole work ethic changed. I saw it as an opportunity to love people, to influence people, and to bring the kingdom of God. And you know what? Nehemiah was probably pretty comfortable in the royal house, serving the king. Like he would have had good food, good clothes, great benefits, that, you know what, 90% 90 of the population didn't have access to. You know what, he could have kept his mouth shut and just lived a comfortable life, but he was called to use that position and influence for a holy calling. And here's the thing we need to accept. We have influence. We all have areas of influence, whether you're at workplace or you're at school or you're in the circle of family and friends, even in the community we live in, we all have influence. And so that burden that is on your heart, God might be calling you to step into that. And how can you use your areas of influence to bring the kingdom of God? So the question is, how do we know when or where or what God is calling us or me into? Well, just like Nehemiah had this move of compassion in his heart, are there things that really touch your heart 
that you really have this sense of compassion for that situation when you hear about it, or certain issues in life that, that grieve your heart. There are many people that you meet, especially in the Christian faith, that have these passion about certain areas, and maybe that's where God is calling you to bring the kingdom of God into. And a great way to discern if God's calling you there is through prayer and fasting, through reading God's word, by seeking God and his direction, by discerning if God wants you to use that in that specific situation. And all through scripture, we see people praying and fasting for, for direction. I mean, Jesus did it. Jesus would go up on the mountain and pray to the Father for direction. You can speak to trusted Christian friends or your pastor about this passion, ambition, or burden on your heart to discern if it's from God for your life. But here comes the hardest part. The hardest part is being obedient to that calling. It's laying down our lives and desires to serve and love others. You know, the story continues and Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he starts this process of rebuilding the wall. And all the tribes and the families of the people of Israel start working on different parts of the wall. One family would work on the gates, another on the wall, another would work on the beams and different areas. And I did a quick count in chapter 3. And there's about 38 different families working on different parts of the wall with their different skills. It's this coming together of different families for different jobs, utilizing, utilizing their different skill sets to rebuild the wall. You know, I love this concept because they all played a part in rebuilding the wall by using their unique gifts and talents. They're not all doing the same thing, and it's such a good lesson for us as Christians. So what area of the wall are you called to work on? What area of the wall do you feel a burden on your heart for? You might have a burden for the indigenous. You might have a burden on your heart for people who suffer with mental health, people who struggle with their finances, for the poor and the homeless. You might have a heart for those who are widows or kids ministry or kids in foster care. You might want to bring medical aid or you love overseas mission or you love discipleship or you have a heart for evangelism and teaching or people in prison or families or people struggling with, with substance abuse. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but what is a burden on your heart? You see, Nehemiah's burden was rebuilding the walls of the Jerusalem for his God. You know what? It might be something you get paid to do and that is awesome. Or it might be something you volunteer for. Or it might be something you do every single day. Like you're constantly looking for opportunity to share the gospel wherever you are, wherever God's put you, and you have this burden for the lost. Or you're called to disciple your kids or your grandkids. Here's the thing. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then I can guarantee you there is something that touches your heart. Hear this. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not care about others in the state of this world. You know, there's a fellow in my church down at Cooley, and he, just a lovely guy, um, we'll call him Peter for the sake of it, he just has a heart for the lost. I can't tell you how many times he has broken down on my shoulder, crying just when he thinks about those who don't know Jesus. It's absolutely beautiful, but you know what? It's not everyone's calling, and that's great. Let's not think that the burden on our heart is the most important thing in the world and everyone should be doing what we're doing. Do you know why? Because that's arrogant and it's actually sin. We should be thankful that God puts different burdens on different people because 
then we all work together in areas to bring the kingdom of God to the entire world. You know, we're all part of God's plan to bring restoration to the world in a multitude of different areas. No one is more important than another. You know, there's this man that actually preaches around, I live at Burley, and he gets to the lights and he stands at the lights and he gets his little microphone out and he preaches the gospel. Now, I've heard so many Christians bag that guy out. Like, what's he doing? Waste of time. You know, I was sitting at the lights one day and I see him all the time. And uh, I was talking to God going, what's going on there, God? Like, you only hear the message for 30 seconds. Is anyone going to get saved through that? Is he wasting his time? And, And God really convicted my heart. He convicted my heart. And that verse came to mind, well done, good and faithful servant. What if God has called him to do that? Who am I to say, that's not your calling, that's not going to work? What about when we get to heaven and God says to him, well done, good and faithful servant, because you did what I asked you to do. You see, we find that verse in Matthew 25, 21, and Jesus is talking about a parable, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, or will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, God doesn't say, well done, successful, rich, famous, impressive servant. No, he says, well done, faithful servant. So don't look down on others that have a burden or ambition for something else. Encourage them. Encourage them to be faithful in their calling and go for it and bring the kingdom of God into reality in that area that they've been specifically called to. And it's exactly the same with the church. God uses the church in a corporate setting to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You know, some churches focus on social justice, some on worship, some on teaching, some on evangelism. Some churches focus on discipleship or feeding the the poor and the homeless or on drug and alcohol rehabilitation or on overseas mission. And you know what? This is great. We should be thankful for these churches and support them because it's impossible for every church to do every kind of ministry there is. You know, we can't do it all as new life. That's why I love that different churches do different things, that God is at work. So don't diminish what other churches are doing. Celebrate it. And as a church ministry team, we can't do it all. But we're called to equip equip you and to disciple you for the work of God. You are the church. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are called to put your hands to the tools with the gift God has given you and rebuild a part of the wall, individually and corporately in the church. You know, one of the things we do here at New Life at all of our churches is Alpha. And, you know, I ran Alpha here. I was part of running Alpha with Brendan for many years, and then I ran it myself for the last three to four years. So I've been doing it for about nine years now. And we would have people come from other churches and do our Alpha here. We'd have 90-odd people in this auditorium. And I used to love that. Do you know why? Because they would love to do Alpha, but they don't have the resources or the time or the people to do it. I'm like, come, come and do it with us. It's different parts of the kingdom working for different areas. And I said, come. And at the end of Alpha, I'd say, hey, if you've come to faith here or if you come from another church, you don't have to come here. Find a church near you that loves you and supports you and where you can walk out your discipleship in following Jesus. Because it's all about the kingdom advancing, not us building our own kingdom. And do you know what? 
We have new life. We've been blessed by resources from other churches too. They've given to us because they're working on a different part of the wall than we are, and we are blessed with those resources. It's beautiful to have the global church of Jesus Christ working together, working together to build the kingdom of God, but working on different things. You know, as a pastor, I can't do everything. It's actually physically impossible for me. And you know what? It's good that I can't because we need one another. Just as different parts of the human body need the other parts of the body to function effectively, we are called to work together as the body of Christ. You know, there is this part in the, Acts, uh, in the, um, in the book of Acts where, I think it's around chapter 4, where the apostles are struggling with, with all the ministry things that they have to do. And some of the widows are getting left behind in the distribution. They're like, we can't do it all. Let's appoint some people to do that. So they do. They appoint other leaders to do that, to care for the widows, because they couldn't do it all. And the great thing is, we hear about this story of Stephen, who was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and he's doing amazing miracles while he's feeding the widows. You know what? The majority of people are not called to be pastors, and that's a good thing. Some people are called to be pastors and they need to be obedient to that call. But church, most Christians are called to build the kingdom of God in their workplace or in their family or in their area of influence. Whether they're a teenager or they're retired, basically we are called to build the kingdom of God wherever we are in life. And this grief that Nehemiah felt for Israel and Jerusalem is but a fraction, a fraction of the grief God feels in his heart for the lost for those that don't know Jesus. This is why Jesus came with compassion, with passion and sacrificed himself. He laid down his life for humanity. Like Jesus had this unique calling that no one else could fulfill. No one. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had this special calling and he was the son of God and he submitted himself to that calling and was obedient to follow that calling even to death. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? That Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. That each and every one of us watching this has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, yet Jesus took upon himself that call to come, to lay down his life, to go to the cross, take your sin and my sin and nail it to the cross. And when he died, he took it to the grave. And when he rose again, he rose again in victory over Satan, sin and death for you and me. This is the beauty of the gospel. And as followers of Christ, we're called to follow Jesus, to sacrifice, to love the lost, to love the world. So here's the truth. Jesus redeems work from sin and God places his children in all different fields of work and areas of influence to bring the light of the gospel and the kingdom of God into those areas through you. And when we get a grasp of that, then everything we do, every moment we find ourselves in is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to break in and bring healing and restoration. Church, whole of life, has purpose and meaning. The whole of our lives is a good work to bring Jesus' love, mercy, and grace on earth as it is in heaven. So what is this holy ambition God has put on your heart? How can you use your areas of influence for your God ambition? 
How can you be obedient to living out that calling? And how can you support and encourage others in their kingdom work? Because what we see in Nehemiah's life and holy ambition, God is wanting to use you to redeem and restore and rebuild this world for His glory and for the benefit of humanity. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you use us, that your desire is to use each and every one of us. God, in this moment, would you quiet our souls, our spirits? Would you open our eyes to see and put a burden in our heart of where you're calling us? And in this moment, just, just ask God, say, God, where are you calling me? Where are you asking me to use my influence to bring your love and mercy and grace? And if you're sitting there and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord, you never understood that he came to die for you, to give you a life of purpose, of meaning, that the God of heaven and earth wants to use you and he wants to restore you and bring wholeness and forgiveness and eternal life, you can simply pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn away from sin and I turn to you. I put my faith and trust that Jesus died for me, that he rose again, and in his rising again, he bought victory for me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus did that for me, and I ask that you would bless me with your Holy Spirit and eternal life. And Lord, I pray that even now, that they would sense your presence that you would bring healing and restoration to their heart. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And Lord, I pray that you would infill each and every person watching this with your Holy Spirit, with power, that we would walk in obedience, in grace, and in love to bring your love and mercy into this world for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.